love a good vicious circle. Little little vicious donut. Just <laughs> glazed in regret. Glazed <laughs> in regret. <laughs> You're reading Between the Lines with Cece and Bex. I'm Cece. And I'm Bex. And today we're diving into book three of the Akatar series, A Court of Wings and Ruin. We're walking into this with the intention of chatting like we've known you forever and discussing all things bookish, fanfic, and conspiracy theory about whatever it is we're reading together. We're going full on nerd here, including our Aquatar version of Kill Funk Mary. And if you want to support the show, we're on Patreon, PayPal, and we invite you to join our Between the Lines communities on Discord, Facebook, Reddit, and Imager. Now, whatever it is you're doing as you join us, feel welcome, and let's get into the goods. So we were going to do a spoiler-free review, but it is book three. And girl, if you haven't read it, I ain't going to tell you. What are you doing? (laughs) With your life. (laughs) Like you read book one and book two. Surely you couldn't wait, like the rest of us, to read book three. Go ahead. Get on it. We all wait. Mm -hmm. All the spoilers lie ahead. Episode book three, part one. Okay. This is a two-parter. This is a big book. Okay. With a lot of big problems for Miss Feyre to get into right now. Okay. So let's start with the Spring Court. She has gone through so much at the end of book two Mm. with her sisters going into the cauldron with finding out that Tamlin and Lucian have completely betrayed yes all of Prithian to join King Highburn for some selfish reason that I just really cannot wrap my head around and were you shocked that Tamlin betrayed everyone yeah yes and no I was shocked like SJM got me straight up (laughs) I was like no what classic Bex mate classic when they came out of the shadows it was like we're here (laughs) we're here to fuck shit up it's like the one time tamlin decided he wanted to be dramatic like reese and it just went sideways completely (laughs) tamlin stop trying to be reese okay (laughs) he wants to be reese so it's not working (laughs) stop trying to make fetch happen oh my god fetch because he's kind of a dog that's funny (laughs) here comes tam tam And he whisks Farah away back to the spring court. And of course, Lucian is like, "Mm, girl, what you doing here? Mm -hmm. He already know. Mm -hmm. You could tell right from the get go. Lulu was not buying her crap. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Yeah. So do you think it had to do with his eye? I mean, we're going to talk about Lucian in a a minute, (laughs) but like, you think it was because of his eye? I mean, he can see that Feyre is lying, but can he see why kids love cinnamon toast crunch? <laughs> you know, everybody's major plot plot problem with Lucian here is that his eye is known to see through glamours, and yet his eye does not seem to see through the glamour of mm-hmm. Feyre's eye lady court tattoo situation. Mm. <laughs> that's that's a, like a really good point. I have nothing for that. Is it willful no. blindness? We'll take willful blindness for two hundred. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I don't know if anyone else absolutely hated the answer to the riddle being love mm. under the mountain. <clears throat> Gag me with a spoon. Like absolutely so lame. So I'm gonna go with that as my answer. It's love. Love is hiding the tattoo. Here's my theory. Okay, I'm ready for your theory. Here's my theory, okay? Okay, well, in, in SJM's defense, she 
claims that she's a happy ending writer. So the fact that she made love the answer to the riddle, I mean, bitch got me. I didn't guess it. Okay. Me either. <laughs> well, it's like a bay poultice or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just too cynical to think that love is the answer to anything. And Miranda's like, psych. A joke. <laughs> no answer to the yes. riddle. <laughs> You're here forever, bitch. <laughs> here's what i think i think that reese we know is the most powerful high lord in history Mm -hmm. we get some allusion into the book that um it would have been assumed he would have bestowed some powers upon pharaoh once they coupled and made it Mm -hmm. up so maybe her power it's not reese level but it's higher than lucian's eyes level so her glamour can work better than Lucian's eye is to, you know, unravel it. I think that's a better theory than nothing. It makes a lot of sense. And it's better than love. (laughs) It's it's better than the explanation. Amarantha, you unoriginal bitch. (laughs) She really is. She's like, eh, tortured. Like, uh, what's new, Amarantha? Come on, girl. We've we've all been there. (laughs) Be deader, thanks. (laughs) Be deader. Okay, but you know, when we go to Spring Court, Mm -hmm. can we talk about the state of Feyre? Our first book, she's starving. Survival mode, taking care of her loser. What did did that writer call it? Personality-proof family. (laughs) I still love that. That's the best description I've heard. And then we've got book two, Feyre, who is depressed. She's traumatized. She's still not in control of herself. Skinny. Like, she, it's basically. Skinny and starving. Feyre 2.0, like basically no upgrades. So like Apple, I guess <laughs> just, yes, you had yep. to buy the second book. It's <laughs> really all I want. And then in this book, we get angry Feyre. She's chosen to come back and she's so different than the Feyre she was a year ago. I would say she wasn't angry. She's vindictive. She's ready. She's unhinged. Ready to go. This is totally a different Feyre that threw up when she killed her first rabbit. Oh, 100%. Now she's like, she's having violent fantasies about killing people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have fantasies about punching people, but I don't sit around fantasizing about slitting people's throats. There's a <laughs> lot of talk about ripping people's throats out and slitting people's throats. And she is, she is pissed and she's enacting some revenge here. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I love that she's cold and she's calculated. This is not shoot from the hip, Feyre. This is not figure it out as you go along survival mode. She is in survive and thrive mode. Mm-hmm. She is ready to take bitches down. Yeah. Left and right. She's going to take them down. Left and She's right. going to do it her way and she's going to be real sneaky about it. And I really appreciate that. She feels like she's in control of her power. Of course, we know that her power will control her at times. But it's not the same as it was the day that she fell in the hallway and got encompassed by darkness. She comes into the spring court completely in control. She is lying as soon as she joins Tamman and Lucian going back from King Hyburn's place. She's already in. Like, she has nowhere to go. She has already lied right yeah. through her teeth. And she is about to try to trick... People who have 500 plus years on her mm-hmm. and not just experience or being alive, but 
to me, the more political maneuvering yeah. that comes with being a high lord or an emissary or niece and nephew of Dick Face. <laughs> She's literally trying to man- over maneuver these people mm-hmm. all at once, pit them against each other. We're talking about a hype priestess. Yeah. She is masterful. I know it doesn't work out exactly the way she wants to in the end, mm-hmm. but I am so impressed with her gall. Yeah, she's got the stone. She really comes to the spring court with a with a hot pair of balls. Yeah. And I think, you know, some people take issue with the fact that the favor from a year ago couldn't read. And she's only she was only 19 when we met her. Now she's still only 20. Mm-hmm. What makes her think that she could take on the political maneuvering of people who have been playing the politics game for quite some time. And to these believers, I say, A, you know, it's a book, so magic, so hot. <laughs> You're welcome. But also that oh, yes. <laughs> Feyre has never had the opportunity to be cunning. Mm. She's never needed it before. So what? how do we know whether she has the aptitude for it or not? Mm-hmm. You know, there have been times when she's been under pressure, like against the worm, when she was really smart. She knew that because it couldn't see that she needed to cover her scent. She laid a trap for it. She made stairs out of bones and got it to kill itself. And nobody believed that she She's would. She's very resourceful. And believe me, I can read. I don't know that I would have, it would, I saw so I would have passed through the test with the riddle on the wall kind of thing, but I probably wouldn't have survived the worm. And I just think it's really interesting how in book one, she refuses to wear dresses mm-hmm. because she doesn't see a need for them. Mm-hmm. And then she wear she has a moment with Tamlin and then she's like awakened to this part of her that she didn't realize existed her sexuality. She's got sexual agency. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like here she's been given the opportunity over the past few months mm-hmm. to train physically with Cassian to train mentally with Reese. And now she has this host of powers And she's like, okay, I'm ready to put this to the test. Here we go. She does. 100%. I think the other part of the equation that a lot of people are missing is not necessarily what Feyre is bringing to the spring court, but what the spring court is lacking. These people have never dealt with an intelligent human being amongst them, especially being high ranking, being right under Tamlin's soon to be white. Mm. She is up there. And then now she's a maid. So this is an individual that they've really never had to deal with before. They've dealt with the Hiverns and the Amaranthas where they have a clear goal. They're like human slaves, lesser phase, <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I wanted to do a third rhyme and it didn't, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> human slaves, lesser phase. They had a clear cut goal. Yeah. And Feyre doesn't. Feyre is being cunning with an end game that they can't really see. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, I don't think it's so much what Feyre is bringing mm-hmm. as opposed to how much it is that they aren't expecting. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. They underestimate her a lot. They really, really do. Over and over again. And I'll say that people take issue with her being illiterate a year before, but it's not like being illiterate makes you stupid. I mean, what? Like reading's hard? <laughs> like it's hard. 
In the Middle Ages, which were from 400 to 1400, pretty much everyone in Europe couldn't read unless you were part of the clergy. So it was just the church that was reading. And so your everyday people that are living around you in villages that are running your judicial system or your farmers, your people who are building homes, the musicians that are self-taught, they're all just as clever as the people you might know in your everyday life now. They just weren't given the opportunity to learn how to read. Right. And so just because Feyre didn't know how to read a year ago doesn't inherently make her a stupid person. No, no. And then she learns to read quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she's very smart and has a lot of potential to grab onto and make real if just given the opportunity. And so I love seeing her here. And in all of her vindictive ways, we get this really vindictive narration in her head and she's chosen to full-on hate tamlin totally understandable Mm -hmm. dude betrayed us i was shocked i was thrown i couldn't believe it and i was like yeah she's about to go in there and fuck him up and show him what's what i mean if somebody threw my sister into some hot squid ink like i would be upset too (laughs) yeah we would be mad about that but i want to say that even though she goes to enact this badass revenge, she's having her reputation phase. <laughs> Obviously, it's not necessarily the right choice to do. And not everybody will agree with mm-hmm. her. It's going to come back to bite her in the ass. Mm-hmm. And she has a lot of failures while she's there. Mm-hmm. But we get this narration in her mind. This is the one that I want to point out is she has decided to hate Tamlin no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I believe that she has to. Like, if you're going to enact insane revenge. Mm -hmm. It is full throttle, 100%. You are dedicated to it. No matter what he does, what he says, you have to spin it to your own advantage to justify the justice that you're delivering. And so there's people who argue that, you know, Tamlin's had some growth here and he's trying to change and Feyre could have just come back and could have just been like, okay, um, I'm here. We got out of that situation. I'm off to the night court and not done this whole revenge thing. And she 100% could have. And she purposely breaks up Lucian and Tamlin. She goes on this whole thing of spurning the entire court, which will tear down the spring mm-hmm. court entirely. And so it's not just Tamlin that's going to get hurt. Everybody is collateral damage. So I would say, I, I, I'm going to argue with them for a second and say that, uh, no, she had to do this now get all the people in trouble and all that kind of stuff maybe not but girl needed scorched earth tamlin had already tried to come back after her mm-hmm. literally gave up his people and everyone in prithian to king highburn just to get her back Feyre had to go back because he didn't get it he didn't get it in the note he didn't get it when she told lucian he didn't understand oh so you're saying if she had gone back immediately had not taught him his lesson he would have just tried to rescue her again correct absolutely and there's no telling what he would have given up a second Mm. time because i feel like he should have gotten the point but if she had gone back to the spring court and been like tamlin you don't understand we said it's my mate and we're in love tamlin (laughs) then just been like Oh, Resan just has her mind all like cotton candied up or whatever. That's true. And I'm just going to come save her again. So he has this like 
savior mentality that she has to break Mm -hmm. before anybody can move on, Mm -hmm. before they can go defeat Highburn, before they can help save Prithian, before they can help save the humans, before she can, uh, you know, protect her city or protect her mate and her new friends. Like, she can't do any of that. Right. Until Tamlin gets it through his thick, wolfy skull that she's just not that into you. (laughs) That's a good point. I actually haven't heard that argument, so that's Good for you. Well done. Golf clap. Golf clap. Let's talk about Tamlin's state of mind here. Because as we discussed last book, if we were looking at this story from Tamlin's point of view, <gasps> boo, boo, Tamlin, he <laughs> was a was a male who was cursed by Amarantha, had to sacrifice his sentries. So he sacrificed some. Then he felt like he couldn't do it anymore. He took a break. Then as it came to a close, he had to do it again. And then he went and got this girl who killed his wolf friend. And then she comes over and they fall in love, quote unquote. And then she, as you said, gave up everything, mm-hmm. gave up her life for him, mm-hmm. which is exactly Feyre's measurement of love also is the amount of violence and death one is willing to to give or to receive is how Feyre measures love, which also she lives in that world where that's kind of how it's measured. So that girl was almost dead for like 10 years. Yeah. Like she, she was on the precipice of starving to death for like forever. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. That is exactly where she lives. And so whenever someone gives up something that means so much to them and what's the most that means anything to you is your life. Well, that's the only thing of value she had, right? Right. What else of value did she have? Nothing. All the treasures and all of the jewelry and stuff like that. I mean, she told Tamlin. The treasures. You know, when she was giving it to that weird little swamp lady, she's like, you have (laughs) so much treasure. Like, none of this matters to you. So why do you care? Yes. And so I think that's when she got a little bit dispelled with Tamlin. Mm -hmm. Which, like, why do you care about all these trinkets like you have billions of them yeah what matters to her is life and death and what you're willing to oh and here's the word we're going to be using a whole lot of sacrifice sacrifice (laughs) is no sacrifice (laughs) and so yeah so and then tamlin gets rescued by this mortal girl which i don't know that it's embarrassing because it's <laughs> supposed to happen but it's probably a little bit emasculating <laughs> to be saved not only by a girl but by a mortal girl she's so tiny <laughs> she is she's tiny she's like shriveled up in a little hovel this book is perfect for people with a size fetish like a size kink like <laughs> we're like they describe reese and 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 tamlin being so much larger than her like she gets a tiny bit taller when she's made fay but these people got them equal heights in the fan art and i'm like girl that is not no. what she had said and i have never heard them talk about favor being in some heels so mm-mm. no, no, that's no. Not anybody wearing mind. heels. Mm-mm. I enjoyed this world where you can't walk around in heels. So it doesn't make my bad like really good. <laughs> okay, okay. So we have this Tamlin who's been emasculated but saved by a girl. And then he's supposed to take this golden prize home back to the spring court. And then he loses this prize to the prince of darkness himself. And she's being sexually abused while she's not with her and probably worse stuff. Mm -hmm. And he remembers Rhysan from Under the Mountain Mm -hmm. and what he did for Amarantha in the eyes of everybody Mm -hmm. as her whore. And so he's just imagining that 
this is what's happening to Feyre. Mm-hmm. He's got to get her back. What does it say about him to his court, to the public, if he just gives up and lets her go and be continually tortured by Rhysand? He very much cares about appearances. The way he treats Feyre yes. and wants to present her to the world as his little trophy wife. Yes. And then he brings in Ianthe, oh, who is all about presentation mm. and literally nothing else. Yeah. He's very much about the looks. Yes. You know, I think he's got an interesting hero complex Mm -hmm. with a little bit of imposter syndrome. Mm, Oh. Because he never wanted to be the High Lord, and now he is the High Lord. So now that he is, he's got... I feel like he's just walking through the motions Mm -hmm. of this checklist of Mm -hmm. things he should do as high lord and he's just gonna do them because he's the least creative person in the history of mankind <laughs> or fey kind and he's just going to do what everybody expects of him mm, black except, and white except when he can't do the right with favor so he's just not gonna do the right <laughs> like bro did you seriously just make lulu do the right with i nasty like seriously mm, mm. no yeah, we're gonna talk about our friend lulu in just a second he's but not a good friend so he's checking these boxes right let's let's see what boxes he could have he's got the pretty wife mm-hmm. in the pretty clothes mm-hmm. everything looks right to the outside they're the symbol of the cauldron blessedness together and he's got this dope priestess he thinks mm. that everybody loves you know nobody likes that bitch but ain't nobody wanna You know, know, and he's just trying to rebuild and be this symbol of security. He's going to get married to the chosen one, box after box after box. Mm -hmm. Who cares what he's actually feeling? Let's just forget all of that. He still hasn't healed from his trauma under the mountain because he's just ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it. And he's taking on. And once he does, it's, it's like that fulfillment of once I get this, that's what will make me happy. So it's this box, then this box, Mm -hmm. then this box. And it's just this never ending thing. And it's without any regard for how he feels himself, Feyre, obviously, or anyone close to him. Right. It's just as long as everything looks perfect to everybody outside. Right. And I get that being a leader. I mean, how many times have we read or seen movies or TV shows, what have you, about kings and queens or, or, or people of royalty or with a namesake saying, oh, you need to marry this, this person so we look good. Yeah. Well, we need this money. We have to keep up the appearances. We have mm-hmm. to do this and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, there was a lot of <clears throat> sacrifice <laughs> to... <laughs> that's our word of the day, kids. There's a lot of sacrifice. As a leader, you give up your own personal identity, your own wants and needs. Of course, Tamlin kind of didn't do that with the whole King Hyrule thing. He was very selfish on that. Mm -hmm. But but I completely understand what you're saying. Like, he is just trying to do that self-sacrifice, but he's not doing it for the right reasons and he's not doing it for the right people. Yeah. And you know what I enjoy about Tamlin's state of mind here is I think he's so delusionally relieved that he has beaten Rhysand and gotten back Feyre, mm. that he's just going to willfully overlook the fact that Feyre is 20 pounds heavier and healthy mm-hmm. and happy. And just there's a stark difference in her personality. Mm-hmm. She's willing to look at flowers, wear the color red. She's wearing dresses and, and making decisions left and right. 
And she's got a little bit more authority about her mm-hmm. and taking a stand on things that she believes in. And it's completely different than the favor we had before. And he's like, oh, well, I'm just going to get that paint set out that I bought her <laughs> for the solstice. And as long as she's painting, then everything's just fine. And it doesn't really matter how she's acting. And so you're telling me that this Feyre that's come back and is in control of herself mm-hmm. and has an opinion about something is telling Tamlin, no, you're not coming. We're going, you know, has something smart to say to the prince and princess when they come. Mm-hmm. This is the girl that you think went and suffered months of sexual abuse from your homie Rhysan and sexual abuse renders this, this result. This is where we're at. Well, okay. So I'm going to say this. As blind as he is to how healthy and happy and amazing Feyre is now, just as blind is when she was literally withering away mm. under his watch. Yeah. I mean, Resand was like, if I could have throttled him after seeing when she looks at herself through Resand's eyes mm-hmm. when she gets to Valaris, it actually it made me tear up a little bit. She's like, I looked at myself and I was so sunken in. My eyes were so dark. My face was so sullen. I was so skinny and I just looked like all of the joy in the world was just sucked right out of me. If Mm. Tamlin can ignore that, if Tamlin cannot see that, he sure as shit won't be able to see her wearing red or she's painting again. Like, he's not going to be able to see that. That's just what he already saw. Mm. He already saw that level of, uh, not appeasement. In his mind, she's that constant. She was already like that. So, and that's what he chose to see. It's So with Tamlin, it's what he chooses to see. And even when he goes with King Hyber, later on in the book, he says, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have betrayed me and left because I was just going to betray Hyber afterwards. I'm like, really? You think you're just going to flip on him? Just like that. Girl. It's how he chooses to see his reality. Yes. You're not going to just flip on Hyber and everything's going to go back to normal and you and Faber are going to live happily ever after. It's not going to work that way, bro. Well, also, just fucking say that then. If that's the case, Tamlin said that he was going to keep her in the loop on all the things that he had going on. You know what would have been the most important thing to keep her in the loop on? From second one, from entering the spring court, would have been like, hey, um, so glad you're back. First thing to know, we're not actually in bed with Hyburn. We got a master plan to fuck him over. So now you're on that team. And then this all could have been avoided. Yep. That or she could have just stabbed him right then and left. But then she wouldn't have been able to be all awesome during the solstice. And no, I agree. <laughs> that was great. Really cool. Like, like fucking Ianthe's stuff up. That was awesome. Oh, she got all the caddy revenge on Ianthe. Oh, good. All the caddy revenge. And she so deserved it. 100%. Fuck Ianthe. God, she's the freaking worst. Can we talk about your man Lucian for just a second, though? Because I always have time for Lucian. Because he's suspicious, obviously, from before they even get back to the spring court. Mm -hmm. And we have a different Lucian in this book. Mm -hmm. Because this Lucian, we get a lot of very sexualized descriptions of him, of his muscles that we've never been talked to about before. And we're like, SJM, you serving us some dish? Not that I didn't picture them. I did several times. Yes, yes, yes. 
you know what I think is interesting about the Feyre and Lucian dynamic is when we when we're betrayed by them, we're mad at both of them. Honored be. And then when we get into the Spring Court. We quickly see Lucian and Feyre have this dynamic that matures and Mm -hmm. goes through its up and downs and kind of turns into a friendship. Some people propose that now that Lucian is mated to Elaine, he sees Feyre as family. Right. And and I definitely caught that as well there were so many times where she was using lucian for her own ends you know she said she tried to get as close to him as possible to give him as many opportunities to be touching her in front of ianthe and tamlin as much as possible Mm -hmm. um so she created all of these situations for them to be physically close to each other so i agree that he definitely felt like she was more like family because of elaine but also that physical closeness that she was kind of forcing on them, I think that made him more protective of her. Mm-hmm. The angrier Tamlin got, and the closer Feyre got to Lucian, the more I felt like Lucian felt responsible for Feyre. Tamlin is very mean to Lucian. Mm-hmm. He was very mean to him through the first book, at, at the very least. He was not very nice to Lulu. And Lulu is very scared of Tamlin. So there's a fear relationship. Of course, he's grateful to Tamlin, but I but there isn't that love connection yeah. that they really have for one another. And I think he got that with Feyre. She challenged him. He challenged her. There was a back and forth. Yeah. It was him protecting her. She saved him. Blah, 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 blah. And now they have almost a common enemy, which is angry Tamlin. Mm. I think Lucian maybe perhaps is also afraid of the past repeating itself. Mm -hmm. And so he's just trying to prevent. He knows what happened last time. Mm -hmm. He was there for when Tamlin went ballistic and killed all the sentries that were at the house the day that Moore came and got Feyre, which is fucked up. Like he just killed everybody as if the Morrigan... Couldn't have slain them all in one go, like please. And it was, you know, Lucian says to Feyre later in the book that it was after he encountered her in the woods that day with Reese mm-hmm. that he gave Tamlin the go ahead to partner up with Hybern. And I just think it's it's interesting that Lucian was trying to prolong that as long as possible, mm-hmm. and then saw Feyre and gave up and said, "Okay, now it's time for drastic measures," because Tamlin was ready to go scorched earth. He had already killed all the centuries he was doing all the things acting crazy he'd torn apart her room doing all his usual ragey shit while lucian is going to the day court to see if there's a way to break the the curse the bargain the bond that they have mm-hmm. and then lucian's going to hunt down pharaoh in in a chance to get her back before things get so bad and i think he's going he goes to look for her with the expectation that it's going to be pharaoh and she may even be asking for his help of course she may look terrible like yeah no in their mind there is no way mm-hmm. that what he encountered was what was going to happen correct there's no way he could have thought this was going to go that no. way literally reached you know? out his hand to her and said come home yeah come home and the only way they can reason it is that reese has got her under mind control you know right. so i mean his version of the story is is of course reasonable for him to think I just I just think it's interesting that he knows, he suspects this whole time that Feyre is doing this, mm-hmm. but he doesn't give her up. And he totally could have. 
He totally could have. And why? Because what would happen if he did give her up? Cameron would go nuts. Again, we don't need this. If he even believed him. Right. You're right. If I'm Lucian, I'm laying in bed and I'm just thinking, okay, oh, I'm Lucian laying in bed. Hey. <laughs> I'm thinking about Lucian laying in bed. Okay, sorry. And he's thinking in his mind, okay, option one, I tell Tamlin and his reaction is, Oh, thank you, Lucian. I appreciate it. Now I shall go and murder Pharaoh. <laughs> or option B, he doesn't believe Lucian at all and takes it out on Lucian. Or he begins to suspect Pharaoh as well and then eventually takes it out on Pharaoh. Right. And then Lucian will have that on his conscience that he's the reason mm-hmm. that Tamlin's punishing Pharaoh. And I, I just don't see a win for him. Right. He's a very, he's very much a uh, wait and see what happens kind of guy. He definitely is. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. I also, back to the family dynamic of Feyre being in control of whether he can see Elaine, mm-hmm. his mate, that Lucian doesn't know what family is. He's had a shitty family. And even in Tamlin's court, he's not family. Mm-hmm. He's an emissary. Mm-hmm that Tamlin can still boss around Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have women in his life. The only woman he's had in his life was murdered before his eyes. His mom for his whole life has been beaten by his dad. And so he just does not have an idea of what family could be. Mm -hmm. And so I think he ships to Feyre's team, not knowingly, you know, if you asked him, which team are you on? He'd say spring court all day. Right. But I think in his heart, he's like, oh, if this is Feyre and she's going back to Elaine, I'm going with her. In his mind, I feel like that's where he thinks he belongs. Yeah. Because his mate, his mating bond is where he belongs. Like that he doesn't have a choice of. Right. The universe is making him or the cauldron is making him. Mm-hmm. So he's got family now. And who wouldn't cling to that if you've never had it? Of course. And I think there's a really strong connect with him and Tamlin, I think he feels like he's away from home. I feel like he is is sad in Valaris. It's not that he doesn't feel like he's safe or that he's welcome. It's just when you grow up in so much abuse and so much physical pain and the mental and emotional anguish you feel, it kind of makes sense why he ran and stayed with Tamlin. It was familiar enough, but also relatively safe. So mm-hmm. he got just like a little taste of the abuse yeah, <laughs> without actually being scared of dying. Yeah. So I think going over to the night court and being around Feyre and being around her people, being near Elaine, he does feel like that's where he should be. But if you've ever come out of an abusive home or an abusive relationship and you (laughs) go to a good family or you go to a good boyfriend or a girlfriend, you almost fight it. You're almost like, this isn't right. This isn't, who is this? Why, why are they smiling at me? Those flowers. Yeah, makes you the (laughs) suspicious and paranoid person. Completely suspicious. I think Lucian is keeping the night court at a distance for his own emotional reasons. And I think they're keeping him a little bit at a distance because he's from the spring court. Yeah. But everyone inherently knows that that is where Lucian needs to be right now. That's true. And we're going to wrap up the spring court. I know we have other things to talk about, but I do want to talk about Feyre, we know is an, is an unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. right? So we're seeing all of her time in the spring court through her eyes. She's decided she's hated Tamlin. So Tamlin can hold a fork the wrong way. And she'd be like, <laughs> look at this asshole. 
Okay, but really, like who that? holds it upside down? <laughs> Who's that guy? Get out of here. What are you doing? I, it's my, I tell my, my friends all the time that when you decide you've hated somebody, everything they do will annoy you. They could just be eating cookies and you'd be like, look at them eating cookies. <laughs> and I feel like that's what she's done to Tamlin. And so t- she gets mad at Tamlin for assuming the worst about Resan. You know, she says something along the lines of some Jurian says something about somebody being abused or something in the night court. Mm-hmm. And they readily accept that answer. And she's offended by how easily they accept that about Resan. Mm-hmm. And she adds it to a list of insults to repay them for. Oh, yeah. Vera, you are using your supposed sexual abuse as a reason not to sleep with Tamlin. So like, which way, which, which is it that you want? You want them to believe that you were sexually abused or you don't? You can't have it both ways. Okay, look, <laughs> she's doing her best. Bex. Okay. She's doing her best. No, I know. Just I know she's doing her best. She can't get it right all, all the time. Look, I'm Team Feyre <laughs> all day. Oh, same thing. I am Team Feyre, but she's same an unreliable days. narrator. 100%. She is shipping on Tamlin real hard and will not give him an inch of anything. We're just seeing this really vindictive narration the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's doing great, but she has some failures in the spring court. Because she's underestimated her foes, her Mm -hmm. opponents, which are the prince and princess, Mm -hmm. who are like this gross and sexual situation going on. Give me very like Game of Thrones vibes. (laughs) You know that the two people doing incestual things are going to end up being the ultimate bad guys. That's like Game of Thrones has taught us all that the brother and sister having sex, not a great idea. Listen, Jamie was supposed to have a really good character arc where he turns out to not be an asshole. Okay. (laughs) Like that was supposed to happen and season eight ruined it. And I'm sorry, we're getting off track here, but. Take our notes, HBO. Appreciate you. <laughs> he was supposed to turn good, not die in rubble after, well, he did give Brianna Tarth a good dicking down. So there good for her. There good for you, good giant for you. lady. Get it. So I made a list of Feyre's failures here. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I love alliteration. You know, I got it. Give me some Feyre failures. Here we go. She's full Machiavellian because this, this is the same woman who will then say later in the book, you know, we should show people the good people that we really are. And she's manipulative. She's abusive herself. Mm-hmm. She takes down collateral damage and she's mm-hmm. unhinged in a way that she just lacks self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to judge her on our realm of things because I think that's what I've heard a lot of people do as well. You know, she's just, this is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's unhealthy? Living in a place where everybody's murdering folks all the time. So we're already there, guys. We're already living in an unhealthy <laughs> realm by our standards. So I'm not trying to measure this by our standards, but here we go. She's willing to break up Lucian and Tamlin, you know, even though she ends up like having a friendship with Lucian, she's going to separate them on purpose and cause this divide that seemingly will not be able to heal. Oh, yeah. So then she pisses off Ianthe, which Ianthe deserved it. I'm, I was loving this. Love, love, loved it. But it had a trickle down effect Mm -hmm. of getting the sentries in trouble. Eventually one of them got whipped. Favor's responsible for all of this. Correct. She put this into motion, Mm -hmm. right? So she's there and cleaning up the blood and doing all the things, but she's still willing to do it. Mm -hmm. She's going to clean up the blood, but she did it on purpose. She's not taking it back. She's not saying sorry. And she almost, whenever it was happening to the sentry, there was a part and I hadn't even thought about this, so I don't have it with me. There was a part where the sentry was getting punished, where it almost felt like 
Feyre thought this is just what has to happen. Yeah. The ends justify the means. This is a part of it. I can't jump in. I can't change this. I have to let this play out. And you can't acknowledge it. Correct. That's what I was saying earlier, that when you choose this path of revenge, you have no choice but to dedicate yourself 100%. Because if you start to doubt yourself, it all crumbles. then you have to acknowledge it and it starts to crumble away. Mm -hmm. So everybody here is your enemy. Tamlin's friends are your enemies. Mm -hmm. And you've got to go, it doesn't matter who you got to hurt and what you got to do to get there. You just got to get the end game. Right. And so she then doesn't handle the prince and princess very well no. because they're like way older than she is. Mm -hmm. And they've been poisoning her with Feybane this entire time. Mm -hmm. She's got this dull headache. She doesn't see the signs. And she knows that Feybane exists because it happened in book two mm -hmm. when, with Resan. When they tried to take Resan. Mm -hmm. But it just doesn't occur to her to consider that even though they couldn't penetrate her mind, that they're, they still might have other moves to play. Correct. It's, it's like she kept them from getting in her mind at the dinner table that one night. And she was like, ha ha, I've foiled them. <laughs> and now they have no options. <laughs> but I mean, but to succumb to me, the 19 year old. Look at King Hyburn. When he had all of them in the same room, was he, were they all chained up? Was he punching everyone? No. He had other means to restrain them. Mm -hmm. So they learned from the best, apparently. Yeah, of course. And took her out in a very sly way. And honestly, I did not see it coming either. But it was it was a good turn. SJM's like that. And then how good is Feyre doing at faking this whole thing when Lucian suspects her? The prince and princess don't buy an ounce of it. Tamlin's willfully blind, so he's not a good judge. Ianthe's playing chess with her. Ianthe knows. Ianthe playing checkers. <laughs> Feyre's playing chess. Our homeboy Jurian has known the whole time. Oh, wow. That part with the the blessed children, the children of the blessed, whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I was like completely taken aback by Jareen's little speech with her and how much he, he cared about the kids. And he was like, you know, thank you. And completely called her out and knew. And that was just the first little hint that Jurian wasn't as bad as he seemed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That we was... come to like Jurian. Yeah. But I mean, like, how good of an acting is she really doing? If really, the only person she really has to fool is Tamlin. That's true. Tamlin surrounded himself with a bunch of enablers. Well, I'm, and look, so, you know, everyone's trying to fool Tamlin right now. Ianthe's trying to fool Tamlin, which she does. Mm -hmm. Lucian's hiding things from Tamlin. The twins are trying to fool Tamlin. Everyone's trying to control what Tamlin does. And that almost makes you kind of feel bad for Tam Tam. Because it's like he's got all these actors coming at him. Yeah, oh, that's true. Tamlin, this is the good way, and I'm a priestess, and you need to... <laughs> respect the deal you made with our uncle or whatever. There's just so many ways that he's getting pulled apart. So she's acting for Tamlin, mm -hmm. but I think she's kind of like we talked about earlier, just maneuvering around everyone else. She just got a little bit outmaneuvered yeah. by the twins. Yeah. And then, of course, she lays the Spring Court bear for plundering and for Highburn to take quite easily, but arguably they would have done it anyway. So that one doesn't bother me that much except that she does break away the loyalty mm -hmm. you know so there's no centuries to protect the regular citizens yeah and so their collateral damage as well 
And then she dishes out her first ounce of actual torture. So we've never seen Feyre torture anybody before. And she goes full on on Ianthe. And it was awesome. I was going, yes, yes. Smash that hand, smash that hand. hundred percent. I think it was really interesting what you said earlier. There's there's such a line between doing good and, and justifying the means. And I think that whenever you make choices, when it comes to vengeance or justice, your idea of justice, you are mm. a hairline fracture away from being Amarantha right now. Yeah. Look at all of these people who are, who are hurting because of you. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, I mean, they probably would have not survived Hybern anyway. He probably would have done the same thing anyway. But again, it's the choices you make. It's the ends justifying the means. It's you saying my sisters were hurt. Uh, my friends were hurt. So someone's got to pay. So now I'm justified by doing everything that I'm doing. Well, how, different are you than Jurian back then? How much different are you than Amarantha in the first book? There's really not that much of a difference when you're being selfish. And I think that that selfishness of what you believe justice is, whether you're a Tamlin, whether you're Amarantha, whether you're a Pharaoh, it it gets a little gray. Yeah, it's super gray. I mean, are these the actions of a healed, healthy person? Mm -hmm. Not by our measurement here, obviously, in this realm that we live in. But I mean, she is pissed off. She's raging. She's unhinged. And yes, she's accepted this role as curse breaker and finally come into her power and she's healthy again physically. Right. But has she, tr- how much healing has she truly done mm-hmm. since everything that's happened to her? And I'm not just talking about in the past year. Right. She wasn't healed from her childhood, from what she had to survive through because she was purely surviving. And then she went through an incredible amount of action and trauma in in a year's worth span. Mm -hmm. So while I feel like she's recovered from becoming immortal Mm -hmm. and reckoning with taking life from someone for the first time ever, because clearly she's cool with it now, I don't think that this is the healed person that will eventually like grow into the mature high lady ruler of the night court. And the other point I want to make about this is Reese's involvement in this, because this dynamic between Reesean and Feyre is that she always has a choice Mm -hmm. and he doesn't let her do anything. She is her own person. She will do whatever she wants. This is the method she chooses to take. Mm-hmm. And when she comes back to the night court, Cassian makes a comment about getting revenge. And Rhysand says that winning this war is more important than revenge. And the only thing that favor brings back, this whole thing has been done under the guise that she is simultaneously going to take down and dismantle the Supreme Court while gathering information. But the only information she brings back that they don't already know is that the Feybane is being used in the food. He literally was like, oh, we just needed to hear it from you. We already knew. Yeah. And I think that was SJM showing us that recent is 500 years old and he's very smart and clever and has had a lot of practice about enacting revenge and choosing when to act on his whims or when not to. And Feyre is 20, 19 or 20. And she's chosen to go, no, this is the route I'm going and I'm going and nobody can stop me. Mm -hmm. And Reese says, okay. And he says, when are you coming home to me? We want to have you here soon. And she's like, I'm almost done. And then she gets there and he doesn't point out 
and say with his words, well, that's not what I would have done. He lets her do it, you know, in the sense that he doesn't go to ruin her plans or attempt to stop her. Mm -hmm. He does it. She brings back nothing of value because we knew about the Feybane from book two. Hey, 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 she brought Lucian. (laughs) She brought Lucian. (laughs) Okay, she brought Lucian. Thank you. But essentially... I think SJM shows us here how young Feyre is mm-hmm. and how inexperienced she was. And so, yes, she got her revenge and it worked out in that way. It's going to come back to bite her in the ass a little bit later. Right. But it just demonstrates the relationship difference that she has with Rhysan yeah. versus the one with Tamlin. Mm-hmm. And even though Reese probably views it as a mistake, he's going to say, do what you want and we will deal with everything when you get back. Ooh. One more comment about the Supreme Court. Last one. Wow. How about Alice? Um, How about her also knowing? So again, everybody knows but Tamlin. Of course Alice was going to know. Of course. Come on. Of course. Alice knows everything. Can I tell you, for your love of Alice, that there is a fan theory that Alice is one of Asriel's spies. (laughs) She's just holed up in the castle, just like looking out for Asriel and like reporting back to him. That doesn't make any sense. She has had no connection to the Night Court whatsoever like i i don't i don't agree i hear you i hear you however let's let's play this out let's devil's advocate say that this is true what do we know about alice that could make this plausible a alice knows when to get the fuck out that's true we have said this time and time again she's got really good instincts she knew when to get out of summer court Mm -hmm. she knew when to leave the spring court Mm mm-hmm she doesn't buy Favor's bullshit for a single second. No, she does not. And if she's in Asriel's realm, mm-hmm. you know, we can only imagine that Asriel would keep the highest set of standards for his spies and that he's got spies planted in every court. We would assume a spy master from the night court would, in fact, do this. Correct. And so if Alice knew the whole night court vibe. She says, she tells us that her friends in summer court have said to her mm-hmm. that they saw Feyre quite happy. Right. Which already leads us to know that Alice is in a bit of a gossip network within the system. Right. But it, it felt a little bit more like Downton Abbey, like, oh, this is what the lords and ladies are doing. And they, you know, just kind of tell each other on the down low, yep. um, you know, servant to servant. Yep. So that's... How- cool would it have been though how key would it have been if Azrael had a spy placed not only in spring court but at such a high level that she had regular access to pharaoh the entire time I mean, she literally was one of like four people that favor could even see because mm-hmm. everybody else was glamoured so i mean I could, I could see that. I'm just saying, I think if anybody's going to be a badass spy, (sighs) I could totally get on board with Alice being it. And also I could totally see Alice making some kind of bargain for the safety of her nephews and who better to protect them. Yeah. And that was my next thing. (laughs) But at the same time, that's really dangerous to be a spy. But she's a badass. You know, she is. And there's no part of me that doesn't want Alice to have a bigger or like cooler role so i am going to change my mind to the fan theory only because i love alice so much and i just want her to be super rad right go on she's a (laughs) high-powered career woman made of tree bark (laughs) that's my story and i'm sticking to it you're so cute i don't know who came up with that fan theory i read it on a facebook group somewhere so good job everyone good job 
here's this episode's act commercial written and directed by the incomparable Cece. Hey y'all, it's me, Terrible Tamlin, and I'm gone crazy. This is the spring quarter estate sale and everything, I mean everything must go. A giant castle with 50,000 acres, $189.99. Mandatory sex cave, 69, 69. A book of dirty limits, 69, 69. And these prices are so low, you'd think I've lost my will to live. <laughs> well, you would be right. Need invisible servants, a traitorous red-headed stepchild. How about two? Count them two sets of Illyrian wings. Buy one, get one free. So come on down to the spring court where you'll look around and say Tamlin has lost his fucking mind. Call now and receive a bunch of mediocre paintings absolutely free. Call 1-800-POLICE-COMEBACK, Vera. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> that's that's 1-800-POLICE-COMEBACK, <laughs> Vera. Okay, Tamlin, you can do this. You'll come back to you. It's fine. Okay. It's just one 800 that's one. That's one. Favor, come back to me. Okay, now come on back. Favor, listen. We stand as lying to you. You need to come back to me now, Favor. Listen, listen, Lucian. I've sent him to come get you. You need to come back to me, Favor. Call now. So once Favor and Lucian go to the night court, it is, well, forgive me, like night and day. <laughs> it is completely different once they're there. And they're, Kind of like we were saying earlier, they're more of a family. It's it's a little bit of a change. Lucian can't really figure it out yet. But I think the commonality between Resand, Moore, Lucian, even Feyre, with wanting to differentiate themselves from their parents, from their bad families, from their childhoods and growing up and all the people who've been hurt, when they were younger, mm -hmm. I think they can kind of relate on that level. This book really says a lot about the generational shift here with who their parents were, what the wars were about, what they were fighting for, and how they treated all of their children. Mm -hmm. More obviously, completely abused, basically sold off as cattle, Asriel Cassian. Oh my God, battered and bruised. Asriel didn't even see the light of day. Shame. Then you've got Resand, Tamlin, Tarquin, Lucian, who all these parents have fought to keep human slaves, to keep lesser fairies where they, or lesser fae, excuse me, where they are supposed to be. I just think it's really cool to see people like Tarquin and Resand and Tamlin who maybe would not get, get along and other facets to relate to one another in this ideal of being a better world mm -hmm. and being better people and treating people better and wanting that relationship with humans and wanting that relationship with their potential children, <laughs> with the other children who have been abused. I just think it's really cool that she makes Sarah, Sarah Demos. The goddess that she is. All hail. Makes this beautiful point of people wanting to leave the world better than they found it. Mm. And to do better than the generation before them. Ugh, the cereal. Yes. Well, we talked a lot 
in our last episode. Was it last one we were talking about feminism? Yes. So in the past couple of books, I feel like this shift from the old folks, mm-hmm. <laughs> to the young ones who are taking over these leadership positions to be more inclusive is really going to help out once this wall comes down mm-hmm. and they have to get back with the humans. The, the wall was temporary. Mm-hmm. It was a temporary solution. It was not going to be permanent. Yeah. That they really have to come to terms with how they're going to treat these weaker, sadder, <laughs> poorer, you know, people who live what maybe a hundred years. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like pets to them in a way. And, and I and I understand that. I mean, when you live 500 plus years, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it just it, it just makes a lot of sense to think of humans as lesser. Yeah. But when you look at Resand, oh, or Cassian. Oh uh, Cass. I know I keep bringing this point up. Where, <laughs> where he he tells Nesta that he's willing to fight for people who can't defend themselves. Yeah. And I think that's really the main point here is people being able to defend those who can't defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, more in her family or Lucian not being able to protect the one he, he loved. Yeah. You know, there, there's just so many instances of torture and pain that they don't want to see inflicted again. No, I agree with you that there's a generational mind shift here. And for me, it just seems like the status quo is exhausting. Like thinking about going to the court of nightmares is exhausting. They've got to figure out their strategy, how they're going to play it, what mask they're going to wear. Mm-hmm. You know, we we get some illusion of that in the spring court with everything being formal, with Tamlin sitting at the head. It's this long table. They do the priestess thing with the very elaborate ceremonies. Right. Everything's long. You would think that that would be the same in Baron's court where it's all very traditional. Mm-hmm. And I just get this sense of exhaustion where when people walk into the night court and they experience how casual it is, mm-hmm. they're just relieved and they can be themselves. And oh, we just wear whatever. Oh, we yeah. just do this. Like it's whatever you want to eat. Like if you want to live with us, it's fine, I guess. Like, yeah, it's very lackadaisical. Yeah. As opposed to other places, 100%. It just seems like the new way of thinking is easy and it's comforting and it's casual and it's mm-hmm. it's not this calculating thing that you've got to be on your guard at all times. Like Eris, when he attacks Feyre on the ice and he says later that he was in front of his brothers, he was in front of his entire court. So whether he wanted to inflict such really humiliating pain upon Pharaoh where he's pulling her by the hair, cuffing her and gagging her with his firepower. Mm -hmm. He has no choice. That's the mask he wears when he's there. He's got to play that part. Mm -hmm. He cannot be anybody else. Right. God, that sounds... I would run away from that so fast. (laughs) I'd be the Lucian in that moment too. I'd be out of there as soon as I could get out. I mean, Eris is like, oh yeah, I'll just kill my dad. It's fine. It's (laughs) that much. It's healthy, right? A difference. Oh, well, right. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there are a few children out there who might. (laughs) You know, Um, there would be a really high, um, really quite a lot of market for psychology and therapists (laughs) to be here in this realm, you know, just suggesting that as an occupation for any fae, whatever. (laughs) looking for a market to get into oh my gosh now show me on your wing where the priest touched you where did the priestess touch you oh no lord almighty (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I really, I hate, of course I hated the story of Rhysand's family dying. Yeah. But I thought it was really interesting how even though Rhysand and Tamlin did not necessarily get along, they had the same ideals. Yeah. Same thing with Tarquin. He goes to the summer court. Do they lie to him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But there's this inherent feeling, even after they receive the rubies, that Tarquin has the same feelings yeah. that Rhysand and Feyre do. And so th- they almost just kind of trust him anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he wants to have us killed. Yeah, sure. Whatever, dude. Okay, so we'll be best friends next, but like, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll send it back. You can send us from some friend sapphires or whatever. So <laughs> I like that even though a lot of these leaders, and it's the leaders who are really making these big changes. And, and I would say, especially Tarkin, just because he's very young. I believe he said he was, what, 80? Yeah. 70, 80 years old. So he's very young. And he's like, oh, I don't know what kind of stuff we have. It's just kind of like lying around. I don't know. Like, what book? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no. They really want something different. Mm-hmm. It may be because it's easier. Like you said, it's just it's just easier to be friends with the humans. Like, why do we have to be dicks? Well, everybody wants to have good lives, right? Right. That's what I tell people in my actual life is that everybody argues about so many things. But at the end of the day, we all want a safe, clean place to live. We all want fair education. We all want easy access to healthcare. Right. We want our kids to be able to ride their bikes on the street and not fear for their lives. And we want to be able to watch Netflix with high speed internet. Like we all want the same things. No, stop with Netflix. It is the worst streaming service. Bex. You're going to like Netflix is coming for us now because of you. This is your fault. Yeah, well. When they come, I'm going to say, direct that letter right to Cece. And that was all her. I'm a big fan of, of Netflix. Please. <laughs> Anyways, the Court of Dreamers is dope. We all want the same things. Oh my God. What if they just change all of Prithian to the Court of Dreams? Because they're all just dreamers, dreaming of a better life. Yep. Just Court of Dreams it up. And that's why when Tamlin was accusing them of wanting to take over Prithian, I was like, um, I mean. What's wrong with it? Say what's wrong with it. What's wrong with it though? <laughs> I mean, tell me why not? That sounds banging. I'm good with it. Yeah, I'm here for that. It's true. It's true. So while we're talking about family, let's talk about the Archeron family specifically and the drama that they get into. I like Nesta. I like Nesta. You like Nesta? I love Nesta. I'm so so in love with her. Like, I love that you wanted her dead in in episode one and now you're pro Nesta. I just, she got so much better. Uh, she made me cry i think like twice in the book Aww. yeah uh so i'm i'm completely team nesta now uh elaine get your shit together girl like get on board with everybody else you know what i don't understand tell me riddle me this <laughs> everybody you remember when everybody was mad at nesta and elaine mm-hmm. for making their letting their younger sister be the one to learn how to hunt and take care of them and she was only 14 and everybody just seems to forgive Elaine, but they'll hold it against Nesta. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very true. 100%. The only kind of argument I would have of that is that Nesta is the oldest mm-hmm. and that she coddled Elaine. She never coddled Feyre. So I feel like Elaine would not even, she, she wouldn't even know to, where to start. Oh, no, I definitely don't think Elaine was capable. But I just think, you know, everybody forgives her quite easily of that because she's nice. Mm-hmm. And because Nesta's prickly, they're like, well, fuck this bitch. She's the reason that Feyre had to go into the woods. <laughs> 
No, you're so right. You're so right. And that's what I'm saying is fuck Elaine. There you go. <laughs> fuck her. <laughs> I, oh, of all the people that I don't have an affinity for, it's Elaine. I'm sorry. Just like get over it, girl. First of all, he gave you an iron ring. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Uh-uh. uh-uh. And it, it's interesting because normally I'd be like, well, he was her first love and da 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 But Elaine is literally the only character in this book that has been consistently given love throughout her life. Like from everyone. Her daddy loves her. Mm-hmm. Nesta loves her. Mm-hmm. Ava's taking care of her. Mm-hmm. She got a boyfriend. She was the only one not starved for love and attention. Even like the servants and stuff in her new house liked Elaine because she was like, Helping out and planting flowers and everything. She's bright and shiny and, you know, flowers and butterflies with her. Yep. And the second that things get a little sideways, Elaine crumbles. Yeah. Like, I'm going to hide in my room for four months. Yeah. You guys just figure it out. I love an oracle trope. Yeah. I love a seer trope. And I got so excited when she was revealed as a seer yeah i was like oh this is gonna be dope she's gonna get she's gonna become like this huge player and she i feel like i was just so let down by yeah i i knew she was gonna have to go through this reckoning of being an immortal and figuring out how to use her images that she's being Mm -hmm. given and what they all mean and i love her speaking in riddles love 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 that and i think it was mostly because she really couldn't even figure out what the hell she was talking about. Yeah. She's like, there was a couple oh, of she didn't know. birds, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it would come into bigger play. Yeah. Than it did. Mm-hmm. And it like led to her getting kidnapped and it, it didn't get used in a way that I thought it was going to get used. And no. I I've read the next two mm-hmm. books, the novella and silver flames, and it still doesn't become a big thing. And so, yeah, maybe when we get the Elaine book, it'll finally become a thing. But I was I love an oracle trope. So I was just hoping for this big arc of using it against something like looking for Hyburn's army or whatever. And it just, they weren't able to use her as the weapon. And I thought she was going to turn out to be. No, it ended up being messed up. Yeah. Because she was in with the cauldron. And I think it probably could have gone either way with, you know, the storytelling. Mm -hmm. It could have been Elaine. SJM could have made it her. But do you think Elaine's capable of doing anything other than tending (laughs) to a garden? (laughs) Look, <laughs> she's literally done fucking nothing else. Learn how to bake some bread. If she doesn't get with Lulu, she's going to be tending to her own garden. You know what I mean? You know what, though? It's because people think she's going to get with Azzy, with Daddy Azzy. And SJM apparently has said in some interview or comments somewhere that Azriel a freak in bed. And I just think it's interesting, the stark difference between soft, soft, sweet Elaine. But she, you know, has these moments with... Azrael. Elaine is a pegger. <laughs> oh. I'm pegging her as a pegger. I'm, I'm just She's gonna. It. You shut that bedroom door and some freaky stuff happens. When my mom it. listens to this. Oh my God, Miss Susan, I'm so sorry. When my mom listens to this, she's gonna have to Google what that is. Do not Google mom, that, Susan. <laughs> mom, please mom, please don't Google pegging. I'll tell you later, okay? <laughs> it's where you put up shelves. <laughs> just putting shelves up. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. We've gotten down Pose. the way path here. Let's go back to the Artron family and, and what we meant to accomplish with this bullet point. And I would like to ship, not originally, because this is something that I picked up while I was in my wonderful Facebook groups. And I love everybody online and all the discussion that we have. 
is that Papa Artron is a stone cold narcissist. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say stone cold fox. And I was like, ooh, maybe like Sean Connery or like a George Clooney or something. (laughs) Because think about it, right? He had a wife that was obsessed with him. Yeah. And now she's gone. Yeah. All of his riches were taken away from him. And what does a narcissist do when their power is taken from them? They shut down. Correct. And they refuse to act. And that's exactly what he was doing when we met him. And then so much so that he was willing to let his all of his daughters starve. And let's face it, if Fair wasn't there, they'd be on they would be on the streets. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And then Tamlin gives him money and all of a sudden he's running around doing all the stuff, making more money. Yeah. Now he oh, now he's got seed money. It's just like I pictured the worst type of trust fund babies that are like, I've got money, I'm gonna make more money. And they have like no sense of what's actually important in the world. Right. And so then he shows up with these ships that are named after his daughters. And I'm like, I mean, you think you're father of the year because you name these ships after your daughters? Yeah. Like you're not doing that for their glory. You're doing that for your own glory. You're like, look at what what a great father I am. I've got an armada and my top three ships are the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria. (laughs) No, no. And that's where I get agree with Nesta and how she can't forgive him is, you know, that she's like the fuck you're riding in a ship named after me. Like you love me or something. Mm -hmm. No. You gave up on us. Like, you don't get to come in here no. on a white horse and think that that just erases yeah. the past 20 years. Absolutely. With no conversation. Not how that works, Daddy. No. That's my favorite part of people trying to move on from shit. I'm somebody who needs to talk stuff out. Mm-hmm. You cannot just make a grand gesture and we go, okay, we'll pretend like the last 20 years didn't happen. The, uh, no, I agree. I think that is a narcissistic quality to kind of go out in this gleaming light of positivity he goes oh look at me like i saved the day like you were old you were gonna die anyway yeah and now you get to go out even though you were a piece of shit even though you were a bad father even though you neglected your children Mm -hmm. you let them starve you wallowed in your own Mm self-pity and then you think that you just get to come in at the end and your legacy is is fulfilled and everyone's going to love you and your children are going to forgive you and you get to be this big old hero. And that is just not how that works. No, no. All you've done is leave your children with this weird, confusing feeling inside of them. Like you are awful and you did a good thing. Just because a bad person does a good thing does not make them a good person person yes no singular action defines a person as good or bad did you ask me how i really felt about it (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) and then you have people walking around telling you how great of a father your dad was oh my gosh like your dad was a great man and i think elaine's like oh because elaine is elaine yeah right you know but you're gonna get to obviously Silver Flames is from Nesta's point of view and where you're going to see her reckon her relationship with her father mm-hmm. and all of that internally. But I, it's just fucked up. Oh, great. I get to be, I get to be more angry. Excellent. Oh yeah. You about to be relating with Nesta real hard, yeah. real hard. Awesome. I mean, what do you do when like the guy that you hate, we know that Nesta hates this guy, Yeah. right? She's, she's mad at Pharaoh for saving the family because she wanted 
the family to fail so she could point at her dad and be like, this is your fault. Right. And now he's dead in all the glory that he got taken down in. And how is she supposed to feel? Mm -hmm. Because if your dad dies, you're supposed to feel sad, right? Right. But all she, all she feels is contempt and anger. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Because it's, it's not like death erases all of that you had inside. No. You know, it's still there, but it's not socially acceptable to talk ill of the dead. Right. You know, so she, she's going to internalize all of that. Correct. Because she's not going to be able to talk to anyone about it. Yeah. And then her sisters are going to go on to, to bury their, to burn the ashes and say a prayer. And then they're going to create a tombstone for him. Mm -hmm. And Nesta's the only one that doesn't go and visit. And she thinks that that paints her as the bad guy to everybody. And that is what people see. Yeah. And that's what people think about her. But she doesn't care because that's how she really feels. And I feel for her in that sense. And I think that makes her stronger because she's sticking with how she felt instead of letting one action change her view of someone. Yeah. And I, I do think that that makes her strong because she's kind of going against the grain with that. Yeah. However... It robs her of the opportunity to ever confront her dad and to actually reconcile these emotions that she's had for so long. Yeah. Because we know we're all really good at talking about our emotions and whatnot, especially in this book. We're going to go 500 years with not discussing the as, cast, and more situation. Mm. <laughs> Nesca surely isn't going to resolve her situation with her dad. No. You know, and then, and now he's dead because right. people die in this book all the time. Now he's dead and she will never have that chance. Right. Even though it's anger, she'll never have that chance to but, get that off her chest and reconcile with it <laughs> and put it out of her life. If you just wanted to talk about Bubba, we could have done that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought you might have some interesting comments um, coming from you personally. It was, honestly, it kind of felt good. Like reading that and... Seeing Nesta feel that way and not letting that change how she felt. It was honestly awesome to read. Uh -huh. And I don't want to say that that's really where I started to relate to her a lot, but it, mm -hmm. it solidified my, <laughs> my revelation about Nesta. I was like, wow, girl, like you stuck to your guns here and you still hate him. And that's how you do it, baby. <laughs> you keep that hate alive. You let it fester, <laughs> honey. But at the same time, it's not about him. Yeah. And I think you're right that she did want to point the finger at him. And in doing that, oh, here we go with those choices. When you make that choice, when you're that vindictive, when you're that angry and you want to point the finger at someone, honey, you got four little three, four little fingers pointing right back at you. Three. Yeah, three. It's three. We can count. <laughs> yeah, three fingers pointing right back at you. You're you're the oldest. Yeah. You're not taking responsibility. Yeah. You're focusing so much on him and on your anger that you're missing everything else. Yeah. Yeah. People think they go through trauma alone. Mm -hmm. You know, when everybody is experiencing trauma alone in the same room together. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like her dad didn't go through trauma. Right. Like he was just happy, happy, joy, joy. I mean, the man got his legs shattered mm -hmm. come on like his wife died yeah and now he's destitute come on and like, thinks he's a failure completely emasculated completely yeah 
that doesn't make his actions right. No. But yeah, it's like Nesta thinks she's the only one that's going through trauma and she doesn't see the trauma that he's also going through. Mm -hmm. And so therefore she can't accept it. And it's just like so reminiscent of real life where yeah. everybody thinks they're <laughs> they're the only ones going through trauma mm -hmm. and nobody can see the trauma that they won't share, you know? And that's, right. it's just a nice little vicious circle that we got going on there. Mm, vicious circle. Ooh, we love a good vicious circle. A little, little vicious donut. Just <laughs> glazed in regret. <laughs> glazed in regret. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, friends, that's a wrap on our first episode on Akawar. Check back in two weeks to get the next episode as we wrap up A Court of Wings and Ruin. And in the meantime, don't forget to read Between the Lines with Cece and Bex. Bex.